Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, boys. First overseas trip, Sweden? I'm down to visit the home of Ikea. Evan, how down are you? Oh, I've already priced out flights. <laughs> I already priced out Airbnbs. No free ads, but, you know, hook us up <laughs> if it's possible. Um, we were, I am mega down. We were talking pre-episode, and we were just, like, spitballing what it would cost to go. And Evan was like, what do you think it would cost? Very, very tact." Tactfully, he put it out there. What do you think it would cost? And I put out some outrageous number. And Evan's like, "Are you an idiot? This is what the flight flights cost." I'm like, "No, they're not." He's like, "Yes, it, yes, they do." That's I looked it up right before the episode. This is what the flight cost. This is what food will cost. This is what Airbnbs cost. We'll have to go at this time. He's already have it. You have the whole thing mapped out. I actually do. The greatest trick. You just tell me. You just give me the green light, and it will all be done. I'm still angry because I found out not the last Winged Wheel podcast night, but the one before. I found out from Catherine, your fiance, uh, that you are a mega event like trip planner. You are a pro. You have spreadsheets. You do not want to see the number of tabs I have open on my computer right now to plan my bachelor party. You you're planning your own? Well, I'm planning. I'm picking the, the where we're gonna go. Oh, okay. And then I'm done. But I have five browsers open, and that does not include the number of tabs in each. Five. Who has, who has five browsers? No, I mean like. It's, oh, they're not windows. all in one window. Sorry, oh, okay. five windows yeah, yeah, yeah. of a browser. The greatest trick Evan ever played on us on this podcast and the audience is that he's this just like bumbling himbo who can't get out the door without tying his own shoes. And it's all out of convenience. Like it was very intentionally done by him. And then Catherine outed you. And now I know. So if we do end up going to Sweden, it's all on you. Oh, I'm, well, the trip's already planned, so it's all good. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> like I said, you give me the green light, the itinerary will be in your inbox first thing in the morning. What do you want to bet when he moved in with Kat? The first time he did the dishes, he did them so poorly. She hasn't asked him to do it since. Uh, I am the breadwinner and the homemaker at our house. <laughs> <laughs> but she's substantially better looking than you, and the cat likes her more. So Yes, but that is a changing of events oh, as of recently. You're winning him over. Very slowly, but surely. I play the long game. <laughs> yeah, As we've learned. Yeah. It's psychological warfare. It's not so much that he's the cat's warming up to him. He's turning the cat on Catherine. Cat versus cat. He knows I'm going to be paying for the vet bills and all his food <laughs> and all that. So really, it's a it's a choice of survival. All right, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey. Our Red Wings season and review series continued. The world of the NHL and Evan's ongoing deception of all of us. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we have the continuation of our Detroit Red Wings season in review. Uh, we already did our overall general thoughts. We've done defense, and now is it is on to forwards, as well as goalies and coaching, uh, which is going to take up the bulk of this episode. We also may have uh, time for some news about Newsy, news on Newsy, uh, and his uh, continued really you know fun and interesting performance on the uh, Sportsnet panel, and a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of drama between uh, John Cooper and his thoughts on uh, Newsy letting us know about how Andre Vasilevsky plays in net. And we'll see what else we can get to before we take your questions before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know Wings Money on the Board is our campaign to raise money for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. 
Our goal for this season is $50,000. Even though the season is over, you can still go in and make retroactive pledges or donate to our Wings Money on the Board campaign. For more information, go to wingedwheelpodcast.com slash wingsmotb to find out more and how you can contribute. Uh, Also, if you want to support the show and you want to go the extra mile and you're able to, we are so eternally grateful for for all of our patrons, patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast. Everything that we do on the show is uh, fueled, funded, and uh, supported through our patrons. They are the true heartbeat of the show. Uh, You get benefits such as access to our exclusive Discord, our bonus episodes, which are a blast, and Evan Hofton saves really good stories for those. We kind of teased everybody with the intro on what the Patreon exclusives are like. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And uh, you are also entered into all of our giveaways uh, automatically. We gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game this season, Uh, the vast majority of them going directly to patrons and Patrons are what allowed us to expand into the Winged Wheel Podcast content network and launch uh, the new show, Expected by Whom, uh, hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. So make sure to give them a listen and follow them on Twitter as well. Okay, Detroit Red Wings season in review. Let's get into what's probably going to be the most substantial portion so far, the forwards. The way we'll do this is we're, we're going to probably go forward by forward and we'll offer general thoughts uh, as we go. And I think just a natural approach is the best way. And why don't we go in order, descending order of points performance this year? I might mess up that list because there are no rules. Uh, but the captain, Dylan Larkin, I think is the right place to start. 80 games played, which is, you know, nearly full season for him, which is really good to see, uh, especially with a little bit of injury history. 32 goals, 47 assists, 79 points, very close to a point per game uh, player. And I think this is Dylan Larkin's best season to date. Oh, it's easily Dylan Sar- Dylan Larkin's best season to date, and he didn't even hit a point per game. Therefore, he's not a number one center. Argument over. <laughs> no, uh, in reality, um, it's really hard to contextualize what Larkin's doing for this team because he has such a lack of support around him. It's, you know, we crack jokes and whine and complain and whatever you want to call it all season about this team can't score, this team can't score, this team lacks any offense, and yet Dylan Larkin's basically a point per game on this roster. It's a testament to being able to create offense, um, not just obviously finish the chances he does get, but he he's able to generate a lot of the production himself, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's on the power play or even strength, because he did have a, a big uptick in power play goals this year, which was nice to see because that always wasn't always one of his, you know, I don't know what to call it, hallmarks. Half his goals came on the power play. Yeah, which, you know, for a team that really struggled on the power play the last few years to get some of that, you know, the buzzword internal growth yeah. uh, was was a key. Um, some good synergy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he did that all without losing his 200-foot game at 5-on-5. Five five. You know, I actually find that he's, over the last couple of years, lost a step in terms of his speed. He, he's not lost a step, but he doesn't utilize it nearly as much as he used to. No, he used to be a pure burner. Yeah, he. I remember the stretch of games against Ottawa where he just kept burning wide and would score in a million different ways. And did he even score a goal in that fashion this year at all? Feels like very few, if any at all. He cut toward, and this isn't a this year thing. This has happened over the last couple se- few seasons as 
he's become a more effective player, and that's getting to the heavy areas, the high danger areas and cutting through defenses, which if it was easy, everyone would do it, and there wouldn't be such a thing as perimeter players. But yeah, he transitioned from being a perimeter speed guide to getting himself in the puck to that, you know, middle trapezoid. Well, this is a good example of, you know, especially leading into the draft soon about why we always beat the term hockey IQ to death because Larkin for the first part of his career just kept trying to beat teams with his speed, with his skill. He's he's going to outskate everybody. He's going to out, you know, uh, perform everybody. He's going to outskill everybody. He doesn't really do that. Now he picks teams apart with his brain. He can slow the play down. He can assess what's going on. He can you know, find the soft areas to get his goals. He can create the space for himself to get those goals, whether that's with his skating, with his passing, whatever. And when he doesn't have the puck, he's finding the right areas to be to get the chances. Um, so it's it's super impressive for a guy with his skill set to be able to change his game so dramatically over. It's a long career, but the overarching arc isn't that long. And you know, once he starts getting a supporting cast around him, you know, at his age, I don't expect a substantial increase in production at this point. I mean, it would be pretty unreasonable to expect someone in their late twenties to go from an 80 point score to like 105 points or something like that. But over the next, you know, I shouldn't say over in the next three or four years, when hopefully some of these major holes are addressed, it's not unreasonable to think that a 31, 32-year-old Dylan Larkin still putting up similar production to what he is now because he's got such a good overall base to work off of. I talked a lot this year about the fact that Dylan Larkin was in a contract year. And, uh, you know, I got some pushback on this, but in my opinion, I think in general across sports, the most likely uh, the most likely year for your, for a player to be performing at their absolute peak is when they're right about to enter their prime earning window, which is if you're in a contract year, you're going to be an expiring free agent with all the leverage, which is what Dylan Larkin was, then yeah, you're going to have the most motivation you'll ever have monetarily to to make a difference in, in how you play and earn. And that's what he did. He got himself an eight-year contract at $8.7 million a year. I think that's a number that he would have been thrilled with from the start. He got paid. Dylan Larkin has eight years. He'll be 27 over the summer, but when his contract's done, he'll be 34. That's four top end in my in terms of uh, athletic performance, in terms of what's reasonable to expect from someone on a UFA deal. That's left for him, and you know it remains to be seen how he's going to age through that contract. But the whole summary of this is, as Brad said, Dylan Larkin has his best years of performance ahead of him, in my mind, in terms of his holistic uh, uh contribution to the Red Wings and all that's left now is to like you said Brad give him that supporting cast we this was the best culmination of availability he stayed healthy consistently playing his game to the you know utmost degree he is one of the only players who I think over the course of the year didn't really falter or miss a step like almost everyone else slumped in a significant way to some degree for one reason or another Dylan Larkin was the Red Wings MVP from start to finish. I think the only person who made that even a question for a short period of time was Vili Husso, which by the end of the year, obviously not. But Dylan Larkin was the Red Wings MVP with how he played. He, You talk about a guy putting all the pieces together in terms of his athletic abilities and, like Brad said, his hockey IQ. This was the best version of Dylan Larkin we've seen. And if it's an indication of what's going to happen over the next you know, five of the eight years, then the Red Wings are in a really good spot. 
And to put it to rest, it's already been put to rest. It's not a question. Dylan Larkin is a first-line center, period. So this has to be one of the best stories of the year for the Red Wings. It was just oft overshadowed by, you know, the contract negotiations. Yeah, I think really the only thing I'll add to this is we've also continued to see strong growth of Dylan Larkin as a captain. Um, He's captained this team through some horrendous years, and uh, we can attest to how bad they've been. Um, but this year he continues to 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 lead the way, you know, showing his maturity, um, standing up for his teammates and not only himself when uh, the punk test gets applied, except except for Ottawa. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that's one of the strong areas of growth he had as well, not only his counting stats uh, and the way he sort of evolved his game. You're completely right. And something I'll extend further is, you know, the topic of what the Red Wings – have said since the season ended and what you know we've heard from the organization is that they really 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 want more from their young guys especially next season they want them to improve over the offseason they want to instill that red wings uh, culture of old and generate a a new generation of players who have who have the skill set and they think that they can do more and it's not just raymond and it's not just cider even though cider i think is already pretty much there it's you know the valenos they want that from bergren they want that from guys coming up through the minor like they're really starting to put the squeeze on these guys and that's that's what's expected you're they're being paid millions of dollars this is what you have to do that can't always come from the coach and that can't always come from management and what do we know from the past however many generations of the red wings those generations aren't defined by the the gm or the coaching staff no matter how notable they are they were defined by the leadership of the captains. We all know the kind of captain Nicholas Listrom was. We all know the kind of captain Henrik Zetterberg was. We all know, obviously, the kind of captain Steve Eisman was. And there were leadership groups, and and I think that's what they want from Larkin. And, yeah, I think this year was he's well on his way to to doing that. He has a tall task ahead of him, you know, fostering a, a generation of young players into bona fide stars who can make your team cup competitive year over year isn't an easy thing to do. It takes a village and and you know, a hockey kind of way, and he's a big part of that. I think Dylan Larkin definitely has the skill set to demonstrate what it takes to win. And I think he's got the personality and the the the, the mindset to to help foster those young players as well. So it's not like he's just a superstar, shows up, gets his paycheck, and gets it back into his car and goes home. I no. think he's uh he's in it to win it. And uh I I there's really no one better, I think in the organization to sort of lead this team uh, into the brighter years, I'll say. So I'm going to move us uh, down the list here to the next player, and I'm already going to put us out of order of the one I said we'd go in. I want to talk about Lucas Raymond. He had an interesting year. 17 goals, 28 assists for 45 points. Uh, it wouldn't be Lucas's best performance this season based on what he was expecting, and he, I think he would be the first one to tell you that. Uh Six fewer goals, six fewer assists, obviously 12 fewer points in the last season. Those raw counting stats aren't the only thing that matters, but he played eight fewer games this year. The the raw numbers aren't the only thing that matter, but it wasn't always a uh, a peak season for Lucas Raymond. That said, I still think he was very good throughout the year. And we, in my mind, the way I'm coming away from this is I'm not concerned about him as a player of the future. I think he has a lot of work to do. And those two thing, things are true in my head at the same time. He needs to play with more confidence. I don't remember a lot of points this year where, where Lucas looked 
really confident with the puck on his stick, which is something we saw a lot of last year. I think the best way or the best example of that is for long stretches of uh, the season, his unwillingness to shoot the puck. Yeah. And, and you get, that's a pretty good indication of where a player's mindset is at, you know, not that every time he chose to pass up a shot, he didn't make a good play or a good pass, but there were so many chances to shoot and he just wouldn't do it, especially especially considering he's got one of the better shots on the team. This team, that's not saying much, but still, you want Lucas Raymond shooting the puck. You want Lucas Raymond dictating play in the offensive zone, and he still did that a lot. He, he, he still worked his way around the offensive zone. Um, you know, Lucas Raymond... Is often the smart one of the smartest players on the ice while he's out there. You can tell he sees things other players don't. You can tell he processes a lot of things at a very high level. And then his lack of confidence—I shouldn't say lack of confidence, but his you know whatever was in his head was getting in the way of of the final step of what he was doing. Um, not to say that there aren't some you know physical traits he needs to work on too. He definitely needs to get a step quicker. Mm-hmm. He definitely needs to get a touch stronger. Um, not anything that he can't do with a good off season. It's not like he can't skate or he can't protect the puck, but there's definitely room for improvement there. So he's 20 years old. This yeah. is when these changes have to happen in his body. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one good off season and we're coming back and we're looking at a completely different player and, you know, he's putting up 60, 70 points. I'm not concerned at all. Lucas's ceiling is still extremely high. He's still very likely to get very close to that ceiling. So the nice thing for him is everything that he needs to work on is very fixable or the improvements can be minimal. I really wanted to zero in, in my opinion, on the things that you said he has to do in the offseason. You have to get stronger. He... Teams had a game plan against him the same way they had one against Berggren and anyone smaller in general, but they really game planned against Lucas, which was cutting down on his time, which started really in the latter half of his rookie season. And every finish of a check, every elbow, every grind along the boards, they took that on, on Raymond. And that is the right game plan against it. You said it last Evan, last episode, Evan. That's welcome to the show. Like That is part of the game. He needs to get stronger to be able to bounce off those. He needs to to get a step quicker to, like you said, Brad, uh, uh, find that space and, and give himself the ability to either hammer through uh, uh, the dirty areas or get a step quicker to find space a little bit more readily. That strength will also translate into, you know, a more confident shot. Get some more juice behind that thing. It is a wicked shot. His release is fantastic. The way he's able to read and execute the shot is great. Even this year as he is, we think he didn't shoot enough. These are all things that are attainable and they're all things that are normal for a guy his age. And I think this year would probably open his eyes a lot as to how it affects you if you're not keeping pace physically with the rest of the league. Uh, Is it the end of the world that he had a lower output than last year? No, Uh, but I think there's so much room above his head where it doesn't have to be such a disparity between, you know, consider Sider who he came in uh, at the same time as. Everyone's thinking Sider is already in lockstep with star status, is moving up there, is probably going to be Detroit's best player pretty soon uh, if he's not already in some people's minds. Raymond doesn't have to be so far behind. There doesn't have to be that big of a gap in terms of how they're performing. I think there's a ton of room ahead of him. The fact that he was able to put up this performance in what is a, you know, 
if a year, depending on who you ask, this guy can and should be a star, and it's on him to kind of take those steps now. Just going back to the uh, point of talking about shooting, uh, he had six less shots than Moritz Seider, and Dominic Kubelik, who was just higher than him in the counting stats department for forwards, had 40 more shots than him. Six fewer shots than Seider is surprising. Significant. Yeah. I mean, I get it. The the, the shots from Seider and Wellman at the point, like, they would generate a lot of those, but that was for a guy who's supposed to be on the first line. It, Raymond did lose power play time to, you know, Perron and, and signings who came in, but... David Perron had 60 more shots. Yeah, 195 shots. Larkin 60. 6-0, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, that's a pretty Store. good indication of... Uh, and a big area of improvement. And David Perron's shooting percentage was only 0.4% lower than uh, Lucas Raymond. Yeah. So and, numbers again, don't lie. And that, that comes from utilization, but, you know, good shooting will beget better utilization. In general, like, I think this is going to sound like a, a, you know, beating down on Raymond's season. He was still good. I think at the the high points of his year, we were watching him. We were like, yeah, that's, the, that's Lucas Raymond right there. The streakiness was a little bit, the streakiness was the red flag for me where I was like, mm, he has a lot of work to do and it's not just going to come to him as naturally as it might have through his developmental years and in his rookie season. It's uh, all, everything you guys mentioned all culminates into consistency. Yeah. If he can find consistency, which is the most difficult thing to do at the NHL level, it seems, um, I think he'll have a fantastic f- a follow-up season. 100. It's a sophomore slump for sure and I don't even think it was honestly all that bad. No, no. I will say I think the organization is really looking for him to to put in and that I'm work. Sh- I'm sure he is as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So 45 points is it a bad year? No, but I think there's no reason why Lucas Raymond in the future if not near future could be a perennial 70-80 point guy. I'd rather him have 45 points now than uh when the Red Wings are battling for home ice advantage in the playoffs. 100%. And that's the advantage of getting these guys in young. Like he cracked the, the roster so quickly. He's 20 years old. Yeah, He's got tons of time. Tons of time. His contract extension is eligible as of July 1. That's going to be an interesting one to watch because after the year he had, is he going to want to sign an extension as soon as possible? If he's going to sign one as soon as possible, it's he'll probably want to bridge. The Red Wings will want to lock him up for as long as possible while his value is lower. I'm not sure that we're going to see a Lucas Raymond signing right away or, or what it looks like because... Here we go again. <laughs> well, there he's an RFA at the end of this. At least, here there's, we go. There's again. no risk of losing him at the end of this season. And and to to spell it out for folks, uh, he has one year left on his entry level contract, so he's just eligible for the extension beyond that as of July first. So just wanted to put that out there. The leverage is definitely all in the team's hand on this one, uh, but Lucas doesn't have to sign anything because he has that extra year left. So you know, wants to bet on himself. This is how you do it. It's paid off for literally everyone else lately in yeah, sports. Yeah, essentially. Anyone who bets on themselves, it pays off. And any GM who who signs a potential star player as early as possible for as long as possible, it pays off for them. So yeah. Tell that to John Klingberg. Well, he... <laughs> I think about it a lot. Like the John Klingberg's agent who... He well, he had a, anywhere from like a fifty-seven to sixty-four million dollar contract on this table. A offer from Dallas and he chose not to take it. because the hell's the wrong market. with you? What the hell is wrong? Well, he fired that agent. Yeah. So he got some guidance there. That wasn't great. 
that one, I, I don't cry for millionaires. I don't cry for billionaires. But, but like, come on. That one's like, that. it's a little tough to watch as he goes year to year now on his contracts. And no one's giving John Klingberg eight by seven anymore. No. All right. David Perron in that signing, two years at $4.75 million before this year. And I don't think we could have imagined it would have gone as well as it did. Second on the team in points, 24 goals, 32 assists, a revelation on the power play, a veteran presence, uh, loved in the room and by the fans, gets in every scrum to defend his players. It's easy to see why David Perron has been loved everywhere he's been and why St. Louis is so uh, fond of the guy. What a season from him. 30, 34 years old. Yeah, he's still a baby. Yeah. yeah. There's hope for you yet, Brad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he's he's out there cruising around with his white skates and his tin advisor. He's everything every beer leaguer has ever wanted to be. Yeah. He can't skate, doesn't matter, still gets out there and just rips. He he is every beer leaguer's hero. But uh, on a serious note, it is fun and funny watching prom play hockey because, you know, I was being – you know, a little facetious, but in reality, his skating is awful. Um, he, he does not get quickly any, any time. He really struggles to get around the ice at NHL pace, but I have never, never seen a player protect the puck like Perron can. He has so much poise with it too. He is, has the ultimate patience. He can be on his forehand, backhand, literally reaching out with one hand on the stick, fending off a defender. And he has, perfect control, perfect presence of mind to still be able to read what's going on and when he's able to make the play that he's trying to. It is absolutely unreal to watch because, you know, especially for a, a smaller player like myself, like I, I could never imagine doing what he's doing. And he's not that big. And, you know, he he can protect the puck, he makes the right play, and he can still find ways to get himself open to let his shot go. It's... Man, it's it's such a treat to watch him because it's been a long, long time since the Red Wings. Well, not long, long time, but the last Red Wing I remember to even be able to do that to that degree was Zetterberg. Yeah. And obviously Perron is not Zetterberg, don't get me wrong, but um, it was an element, especially off the cycle, that the Red Wings had been sorely lacking since Zetterberg's uh, retirement. And you bring a guy like Perron in to have a similar effect uh, on the team that Zetterberg did, you know, that... Obviously, the skill set on the ice, but the be, be a bit more of a veteran leader off the ice. He's got his cup ring. He's been around the block a few times. He can help out the Lucas Raymonds of the world. And uh, you hope that the on-ice production doesn't dip because, you know, it's hard to be a veteran leader if you're putting up, like, 19 points every year. Like, how many young offensive stars are going to listen to you at that point? Darren so, Helm would like a word. That's right. That's for you, all you Helm stands out there, a little breadcrumb for you. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think... Perron did exactly everything the Red Wings brought him in to do. The puck on his stick on the sidewall on the power play was, it sounds ridiculous, but there's there's a few players in the league, and it's been a while since the Red Wings have had one, where every time they were in a certain situation, you're like, he's going to do something. And it, it got to that point where the puck would be on Perron's stick on the sidewall on the power play, and I'm like, he's going to outweigh have the slightest little head body stick fake or do nothing at all and just freeze people and find someone cross crease across like 18 legs. And that's what he did. Like how many goals for Raymond chase on Berggren, whatever Larkin uh, on the opposite side of the net 
came from Haran's past that came through, or he was the one who found Cider at the point and that shot got through. Like he was, it's no wonder why Raymond lost power play time. It's no wonder why Perron was just such a staple for, for that position on that half wall. Like he, you said it, Evan, the poise, like it almost gives you tingles to watch it. Like the, plays a veteran's game. That's for sure. And it ages well, but you're not wrong, Brad. He's not out there. He's not Dylan Larkin, Andreas Sathan to see you, Darren Helm out there. There's two breadcrumbs, but he, the way he plays the game means that as he gets past his athletic prime, he's coming in and making an impact on a team that, you know, made some noise for a hot second there at a wild card spot. The Red Wings are going to get calls for, for Perron at the trade deadline this upcoming season. And I would not be surprised if the Red Wings don't even pick up the phone. I mean, hoping we're in a playoff spot at that point. Right. Ryan, like, I'm it hoping de- it really depends on how the team's performing, but you know, this isn't, this is a guy where you forego the, uh, uh, you know, su- barely sufficient standard of pick. Like say someone offers a third and a middle middling prospect. You don't take that right for Perron. You, the impact that he has on the team is, is more substantial Great, fantastic signing, and uh, you can tell the the difference he made on the team this year. Maybe St. Louis will uh, figure it out and uh, <laughs> be making a playoff push and <laughs> come calling for David Perron. They do have more than one first round <laughs> pick. Yeah, they are. They might want him, but no, Perron has been uh, excellent signing, and he had a great season. Yeah, yeah, just a great move to pick him up in the offseason. I I didn't think it, it could go this well, and here we are. Let's talk about the uh, another big signing that happened in the offseason. Andrew Kopp and his deal is obviously a significant one. Uh, signed at 5.625 for five years. The Red Wings brought in someone who is meant to be their de facto second-line center behind Larkin. Came in uh, off core surgery, no preseason time. Essentially had to shake off the rust and get up to speed right away. And uh, his year, it slowly ramped up in my mind. He ended up finishing with pretty respectable numbers, nine goals, 33 assists for 42 points, uh, a little ways off his best performance of so 53 points, which I think he's done a couple times. But it finished a lot stronger than it, it started, and the concern I had for Cop at the start of the year without knowing the extent of the core surgery is way less now. But there's still some room for, for discussion on this one. Yeah, because... The problem with talking about Andrew Kopp is all the context around it. Did Andrew Kopp have a good season? Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, coming off core surgery, once he got going, you could really see why the Red Wings wanted him, why the Red Wings went out and got him, and you know all the skills and talent he brings to the team. Um, and it's not his fault, so you you obviously can't fault Andrew Cobb for it, but I don't think the season lived up to what his contract is, and given his age, it does present some concerns going forward. Obviously, a very healthy offseason is a, a big reason for optimism. Uh, is he a second-line center in the NHL? No. Not on average, no. No. By but, the way, he's 28. He'll turn 29 yeah. in July. Um, but the Red Wings don't have a better option than him right now. So he is the second line center. And obviously, you know, it's, he's still a huge upgrade from Pew Suter who did it last year. Yeah. So, um, you gotta at least be happy with any upgrade you can get. Cause you know, if I take the contract out of it, if I take the expectations to play much higher in the lineup than he should, he had a good year. He, he was a big upgrade on what was, uh, at his role, who was occupying his role last year with. All due respect to Pew Suter, sorry. Um, but I'll remember that one, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he 
didn't even crack 10 goals and, you know, was 10 points shy of his uh, career high coming off his big contract. So I really, really like Andrew Kopp, the player. It's just he he still has to find another gear, whatever that might be, whether that, that gear could just be full health. Mm-hmm. Like it could literally be just that. But you don't pay someone almost $6 million a year for what, four more years to maybe be a half a point per game and play, you know, on your third line or a wing spot when the wings are trying to compete. He's another guy I think would probably say his season wasn't good enough. Um, And you know what? I would mostly agree with that statement. Um, But like you guys said, like it was kind of a tale of two stories this year. Very slow start. I mean, he still played all 82 games, but... Clearly, the no training camp coming off of core surgery really hampered him at the start of the season. Uh, later in the season, obviously, he looked a lot better. Um, his compete was a lot better, and the points started to come. So, like you guys said, I think the most important thing for him is to have a healthy offseason, and I, I feel like next season will be better than this one. Yeah, I think what you guys have uh, outlined is completely fair. Like, my... <sighs> Optimism is based on the the trend we saw towards the second half of the year. And what the Red Wings need Cop to be now is to continue to be a serviceable, which isn't a high bar to set, a serviceable second-line center. Like, if you are not among the top 32 second-line centers in the league, that's okay, but you can't be too much further off that. Uh, a serviceable, serviceable second-line center until more comes through, until Casper is ready, until the Red Wings, you know, Bedard or Fantilli, because I'm going to live on cloud nine for a moment. Here. Don't even say that. I know. I know. I shouldn't put that out into the world. You're going to be that uh, Dewey meme from Malcolm in the Middle soon, or I'm going to be. Uh, I expect nothing, and I'm still disappointed because you keep speaking it. Brad, That's the that's been the show for the past eight and a half years. I know, and I keep telling you to stop, but you don't. Can't wait till we do the draft lottery live stream, and the Red Wings are at nine, <laughs> and none of us say a damn thing for 10 seconds. I can't wait. When... Because he's the one always trying to speak this into existence. If that number nine or ten card flips over and the Red Wings logo comes up, do we just get up and leave and make him do the rest of the stream by himself? He can't stop us. <laughs> no. No, I can't. Nor would I try to. I don't fight fathers. They have too, they have dad strength and they have too much to live for. Yeah, that's right. See, because me and Evan are in the no-lose situation here. We expect nothing. So if we get nothing, we're we're right. And we just move on with our lives. If we're wrong, we have to admit we're wrong and you're right. But there's a Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli that comes you'll, with that. You'll never see me again. No, no. <laughs> Anyhow, they they just need Cobb to fill that role and transition to, you know, a middle six winger if and when the team is ready. Very obviously, the team needs more to come in via draft, via trade, however it might be to get, get a true top six center. Cop isn't that, or he hasn't been, but he can be serviceable. He can be a very serviceable plug-in to the point where it's not so much like, uh, like you said, Brad, we're asking Pew Suter to be someone he's not. We're asking, you know, Darren Helm or Luke Lindenning or whoever to be someone who they're not. Like He should be able to fit that bill, and, and the onus is on him next season to do it. All right, very quick break here, and on the other side, we'll get into some more of the interesting stories, including Michael Rasmussen, Jontin Bergren, and lots more. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped.com, the global men's lifestyle brand that's disrupting the beard market. Hockey and beards are synonymous, and if you followed us for a while, you know that Evan and I take 
great pride in our beards while Brad does his best Crosby impression. Now, finally, Manscaped is launching a beard trimming and styling routine. Now, what I have here is the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Your facial hair really sets the tone for the entire postseason, whether you're contending for the cup or sticking it to your old school GM. The Beard Hedger Trimmer has a powerful 7200 RPM motor and titanium-coated T-blade that can cut through the thickest of hair in a single stroke. Whether you prefer a 5 o'clock shadow or a lion's mane, you can choose from 20 different hair cutting lengths with the zoom wheel that only uses one guard. The beard trimmer is waterproof, cordless, and rechargeable, so you can trim in the shower to save time and create less mess. Manscaped also created dermatologist-tested beard care products to help you grow and nourish a magnificent beard. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit includes the Beard Hedger, Beard Shampoo, Beard Conditioner, Beard Oil, Beard Balm, the Travel Case, and a free gift. To get all that and more, simply go to manscaped.com today and get 20% off plus free shipping when you use promo code WWP at checkout. That's 20% off plus free international shipping with promo code WWP at manscaped.com. Join over 8 million men worldwide, including us three, who trust Manscaped today. Okay, let's continue in my totally out of order order here. I want to talk about the season Michael Rasmussen had. 56 games got cut short as he uh, had that kneecap injury. Uh, unfortunately, 10 goals, 19 assists, 29 points. Uh, and outside of the counting stats, I think this is the biggest kind of impact in the room, impact on the the spirit, the vibe of the Red Wings that he's ever had. And this is a Michael Rasmussen that we have wanted to see for some time when it became apparent he wasn't going to be that skilled player to dance through everyone and put up insane numbers. We wanted a guy who could, you know, muscle through you, be a big imposing physical force, utilize his crazy eyes for good and and dominate on the ice. And, and I think there's no better indication of the fact that Michael Rasmussen did that by how different and almost like despondent the Red Wings looked after he got injured. Yeah, it's... I don't even know how to phrase this because I feel like Red Wings media fans are turning Michael Rasmussen into something he isn't, but they have his level of importance accurate. I don't think Michael Rasmussen's counting stats are going to evolve much beyond what they are now because what he is offensively is what he has been for the last year and a half that we saw. He's, he's not a creative player, but he's good enough and smart enough and talented enough to make the simple, correct plays in the offensive zone. And he's got enough drive and, you know, size, speed, whatever, to make it happen. Yeah, I think half point per game is reasonable. Yeah, and I, I think that's about where he's probably going to settle for most of his career. And like most players, he'll probably have one or two outlier years where things just, you know, fall for him. You know, the shooting percentage is a little higher. Maybe he's got some better line mates and he gets around that 50-ish point mark. Um, but that's not going to be regular. And when I see the discourse on him, they're like, oh, he's going to be a top six, you know, play driving. No, that's not what he is. But he is just as important because he is one of the most reliable 200-foot players for the Red Wings. He is extremely versatile, which is rare for a guy his size to be able to play all three of the forward positions effectively. We've talked about how he's way better on the wing, but he can fill in at center adequately. It's just not the best way to maximize his strengths. But in terms of a team context, when you are down a center or two or injuries and you have a guy like him who you can just pull off the wing, plug and play, and you know you're not going to be screwed, that's hugely important. The Red Wings' penalty kill was way better with Michael Rasmussen. The Red Wings in their D zone is way better than Michael Rasmussen. 
again, I, I don't expect this huge leap from him at this point, but you, you almost couldn't carve out a stone, a better third line player. If you want to be a cup contender than what the Red Wings are getting out of Rasmussen right now, or before his injury, I should say. Yeah. If you sort of take the second half of last season and combine it with this season, that's probably the best stretch of hockey. Michael Rasmussen has played at the NHL level. Um, I wouldn't even say best. It's the only good stretch of hockey he's put together at the NHL level, but at least we're lucky in the sense that it's been really good. Yeah. So, you know, I hate to say it again, but it's all going to come down to consistency and health. Uh, If he can get that straightened out in the off season, um, I think you'll have another fantastic season and you guys highlighted it without him in the lineup. This team looked completely different. A lot of disinterest in a lot of the games. Um, so he is a very key component of this team. It's just very hard to put your finger on why. Credit to Derek Lalone for what you mentioned, Brad. It, he's at his best on the wing, but he's shown versatility and be able to, being able to come in and play center. I think there was a bigger disparity in terms of performance level when that was tried previously. And with how they've worked with Rasmussen in his game and how they fit him into Derek Lalonde's system, it's way less of a drop-off now, in my mind. I, I still think he's at his best in the wing. I agree. That's He can crash the net, play his best hockey. He's he's responsible for less of the play driving, etc. But he, he's fit in just fine there, and it's worked. So credit to, to obviously Rasmussen, but also the coaching staff in Detroit. He's actually excellent at like small area hockey, too, for a guy his size. When he's behind the net and driving plays below the goal line, he, that's kind of where his bread and butter is. Uh. Which is a huge testament to him because two years ago, our biggest yeah. gripe yeah. with Michael Rasmussen <laughs> was there was a stretch for like almost yeah. two months to start the season where we're not sure if he won a board battle. Yeah, you, yeah We're, really we're sitting here going, you're a million feet tall and, and he got muscled off every puck. It was infuriating. He's become a lot more tenacious with the puck and to get it back. And I think that's been a huge area of success for him. He, yeah. He's just found the correct way of utilizing his frame combined with his skill set. And that's also not to ignore the fact that his skating has come a long way. He was an yeah. awful skater. I know a lot of people, um, you know, look at Elmer Soderblom and go, Tage Thompson, which obviously no, but if Soderblom can kind of mirror the path in terms of development, not, not the, you know, up and down injury history, whatever, but figuring out how to play within his body and figuring out how to use his size with his skill set, that's what Soderblom should be watching. And I'm not saying he has to play like Rasmussen. They're two very different players. Soderblom is a far more skilled player, but just figuring out what Rasmussen figured out and having Rasmussen in that room to teach him is a huge plus. Okay, let's get into another free agent signing that came in. Uh, Dominic Kubelik put up 20 goals, 25 assists for a very respectable 45 points, Uh, played 81 of 82 games and has was signed for two years, so has one year remaining at $2.5 million. The start to the season was electric. I, I was like, if he continues this, this is going to be the steal of the offseason. But still, putting up a 20 spot, 45 points for a guy that was signed for two and a half mil, like that is a very efficient signing for Detroit. His contributions on the power play and just his, oh my, his releases, like his shot is so good. He, he's the only uh, scoring from a distance 
threat on the Pretty Red much, Wings. Yeah. So thoughts on him and, you know, we'll get into it maybe after we talk about his game. I think he's going to be a guy some teams call about next, uh, next trade deadline, but yeah, he contributed and one, was one of the few bright spots in terms of nearly consistent, except for a bigger slump in the middle, uh, scoring for the Red Wings. Yeah. I mean, he's an absolute bargain. Um, going to be a long conversation this year about whether or not to extend him, trade him or, you know, whatever. Can't wait till we stop having the trade players conversations, but <laughs> I think they're already slowing down, but they're yeah. slowing down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cause you couldn't have possibly asked more from him for what his contract was. Um, it was a little front loaded. Sure. And it's easy to watch Kubelik and look at his shot and, and kind of pigeonhole the guy because obviously he's got an electric shot. He's a good offensive player, but there was a lot of subtleties to his game that I actually really liked. He is excellent on the forecheck, which is not something that Dominic Kubelik was billed as um, coming in. But yeah, I, watching him throughout the season, even in the times where the puck wasn't dropping for him, he was always, always noticeable uh, when he was the first guy in. And, you know, he's got his deficiencies. You don't play a guy, pay a guy $2.5 million and expect him to be a perfect player. Yeah. Um, and you know, leaves a little bit to be desired in the the D zone leaves a little bit to be desired in transition, but yeah, much like Perron, he did just about everything you could have asked for him given the circumstances of Chicago, uh, just not qualifying him and him coming into Detroit on a prove it contract. Yeah. Dominic Kubelik is an interesting one for me because on the one hand, I see a guy who's making two and a half million bucks and scores 20 goals and is over a half a point per game player. On the other hand, I don't see him out on the ice ever. I find him incredibly inconsistent in his overall game. If you, you know, you go to a game and you're like, oh yeah, that guy. (laughs) I think that was, he was that guy for me this season. There's nights where I just forgot he existed on the team unless he scored a goal. Um, You know, that says, you know, that says stuff about me as well. (laughs) So let's, let's let's not say I'm, you know, memory uh, of a goldfish, but yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it leaves a lot to be desired for me on, on that perspective, but going back to my original point, you're paying him two and a half million bucks and he scored 20 goals. Yeah. How can you totally be upset? You're not looking for a world beater with Dominic Kubalik. You're getting extreme value. All right, Jonathan Berggren. Besides the evolution of his name, the evolution of his game. 15 goals. I hate you so much. Thank you. I, on the fly. <laughs> I came up with that on the fly. I hate you. I thought you liked poetry. (laughs) Not yours. (laughs) 15 goals, 13 assists for 28 points. Came up and stayed up uh, with the Red Wings. Played 67 games in the winged wheel this year. He had to be a little bit patient to get his opportunity, but when he did get it, he made it stick. And in my mind, uh, Berggren went through all the paces this year. Produced. It was easier at times. He, He kind of slumped a little bit as... The physicality was getting to him, and, and opposing teams were grinding him down. He's not a big guy, and you know he's he's got a lot of growth to do in that respect because he's still very young, uh, twenty two years old. But you know, was scoring till the end, and to put up that kind of point total in your rookie season when he came out of Grand Rapids, that's promising. I think Berggren is kind of overlooked as a potential really good impact player in Detroit's top six of the future. He, the onus is on him now to figure out what he's going to do this offseason as he, you know, adjusts to the NHL game a little bit more readily 
where I think the physicality won't affect him too much. But I, I think he really, really, really could be a big part of uh, Detroit's top six of the future. I think this offseason he needs to live with David Perron and just talk to him a lot. Because uh, Berggren's not a great skater. He's not a poor skater, and he's a little quicker uh, than David Perron is, obviously, <laughs> for one reason, being younger. Um, but Berggren's another guy who really likes to slow the play down, and we've talked about that at length because he's always one of the smartest players on the ice. He finds lanes and seams that other players just don't see. Um, and it was hard for him to truly utilize that this year because he did not get a lot of playing time with a lot of gifted scores. So you have a guy who's a top end playmaker playing with guys who can't finish or get open. It's a bit frustrating, but Berggren did a phenomenal job of putting the puck in the net himself, uh, way more than I would have expected this year. Um, cause Berggren's never been, you know, uh, an incompetent goal scorer. It's always been part of his game, but it's never been the main part of his offensive attack. And he finished with more goals and assists this year. And I know you mentioned that he needs to get stronger and, and cause he's on the smaller side. And that's kind of why I made the Perron comparable. Obviously he doesn't have Perron size, but just, you know, pick his brain, learn to protect the puck. Cause Lucas Raymond has the benefit of, he can kind of get out of some of those situations cause he's quicker. Berggren's not going to be able to do that as often. Mm -hmm. So he really has to, you know, utilize the little bit of space he has when he has it. And when that space runs out, how to play that. Um, but yeah, I mean, we weren't sure Berggren was going to skate a game with the Red Wings this year, let alone play a near full season and produce while playing a bottom six role. So, you know, from where Berggren was to start the year to what our expectations of him now, I mean, you got to come away really excited. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. Like, considering he, we didn't really pencil him in on the roster and uh, he came in and he stayed up and was one of the more productive players on the team once he was on in the lineup and playing, you know, not a whole lot of minutes every game. Um, how could he really be upset with the season that he had? Uh, it's only going to get more difficult now if he continues to produce because teams start to focus on him and they'll just say he's small, you can just eliminate him. So the game is only going to get more difficult, but I think he's got the IQ and the headspace to to think his way around that. Um, might be a guy they look to lock up long-term sooner rather than later so that it kind of looks like a bargain later later on in that contract. I don't know. Um, but yeah, another guy, it's hard to be really be upset with the season he had. Pew Suter, unrestricted free agent uh, right now. Just finished up a $3.25 million contract. And a, a forward who, yeah, he didn't produce a lot for the Red Wings. 14 goals, 10 assists for 24 points. But his defensive impacts for this team were phenomenal. On the penalty kill at 5-on-5, five five, he was just an outstanding player. Complimented that bottom six is uh, really, I think, a guy who, like as filler, the Red Wings have done a lot worse as filler. And I think there's room for him on this roster to come back depending on the contract demands that he has. I don't know if he'll want more than what he got. I don't know that he could justify more in terms of if you're Steve Eisman in the Red Wings. But if he has a good thing going here, I would not hate to see Pew Suter back at all. I know I've joked a lot about, you know, the rise of Pew Suter and I'm his biggest champion. But genuinely, I, I, I like him in a bottom of the lineup role. I like what he does in the penalty kill. Contract aside, he's done really well. Well, 
if you like Michael Rasmussen, you can't not like Puce Suter. Yeah. They fill the same role. Um, obviously to varying degrees and, you know, their, their skill set isn't identical, but you have that very versatile forward who can play wing or center is excellent defensively and can chip in enough offense to keep you content and to bring, you know, a different, uh, dimension to your bottom six. Suter's absolutely that guy and every team could use two or three guys like that. The only question with Suter is, yeah, are you getting that for Michael Rasmussen's sub $2 million contract or does he want three and a half, four million million, $4 whatever it might be. Yeah. And that more than anything else is probably going to determine Suter's future. Because um, again, for a depth player who was on a show me contract after being unqualified by Chicago, he did everything you could ask of him. He was the team's second line center for the better part of a year yeah. before this season. So you know, Suter came in here and did everything the team asked of him and then some. And, uh, you know, he's such a likable player. You hope they bring him back. Um, but ultimately, a guy like Pew Suter is probably only ever going to play in the bottom six, so he needs to be paid. <laughs> like a guy who's only ever going to play in the bottom six. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully something can be done there. But uh, I'll say I'm not optimistic on that front. Yeah, Pew Suter is like the... Uh, such a nice plug-and-play type player to have in the roster. Unfortunately, teams find those everywhere. Um, but I, ultimately, I think the f- future of Pew Suter on this team is is up to him. What he wants to get paid or thinks that you know there's more to his game that it would be better suited with another team or another team offers more money, uh, I think that's up to him to decide. Uh is this was this season amazing? No, he had twenty four points in seventy nine games. That's not uh, that's not lighting the world on fire, but any by any means. But he does bring a lot of those sort of intangibles. Being able to move up and down the lineup, plays well defensively, plays special teams when needed, especially the penalty kill. So I don't know. I don't know. He's he's it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's standard fare for. We missed, the lineup. We're seventh in the division. He's a bottom six guy. He's yeah. he's did okay. Joe Valeno is a guy who, you know, Steve Eisman has vocally said that he wants to see more out of and thinks he can do more. Played uh, 81 games this year, 20 points, 9 goals, 11 assists. So the production wasn't there. But I think a lot like previous years, his production kind of ramped up over time. I think we saw more consistency in his game. But is there more production to his game is the question. So your thoughts on Valeno's season. Every year there's a player who you look at, you watch him, and you go, the stats don't match the eye test. This guy should be producing more. Oh, this- so he's Philip Zadina. Well, at points. The Wayne Wheel Podcast, where we open the same can of worms every episode. <laughs> Listen, uh, I'm just saying this forward from the 2018 draft that the Red Wings selected in the first round just isn't producing to the... Anyways. What if we combine both of them genetically? Uh, somehow they would produce wow. less. 36 points. Oof. Wow. Real wow. burn. <laughs> no, somehow they, it would like subtract from yeah. each other. You take. Uh, oh, we forgot to get. We, that was two negative signs, not a positive and a negative. Well, we screwed up. Yeah. Either way, one of them might win the Masters. So, uh, <laughs> that's right. But in all seriousness, Valeno, by the eye test, was very, very good this year. Um, I really like the evolution of his game. He was one of those guys for playing down in the lineup and not scoring a lot. You noticed him, or at least I noticed him a lot. He is one of the Red Wings' best players in transition 
at forward in terms of, you know, carrying the puck and all that. He's he's young, but he's he's good defensively. At least he puts in an honest effort. There's some refining that can still be done there. But again, for a guy his age, I'm not going to nail him to the wall for not being perfect there yet. Um, his catch and release uh, shot is phenomenal. It's, it's actually something I can't believe he doesn't score more on. And I think that's just a product of he's not getting in the position to do it often enough yet, which hopefully comes with time. Because um, with Zadina, the frustration is he gets a million chances and can't score on any of them. I, I feel like Valeno's not creating enough chances for himself yet because he gets up and down the ice so well. Yeah, He can play off the cycle in both ends so well. He can you know move the puck well. But then at the end of the game, you're like, oh yeah, he had... One scoring chance. Why? So this could just be an experience thing as he learns his way through the NHL because the big talking point, at least with us, since the Red Wings have drafted Valeno and we've watched his progression from the CHL to the AHL to the NHL, even his brief stints at the World Juniors, he's always a slow starter. He doesn't get it right away. But every stop, you can see there's a point where it clicks and then he gets it. And then he looks like a different player and the production starts to come. I don't ever expect Joe Valeno to be a 50, 60, 70 point guy. But I think there's a very real world where Joe Valeno is anchoring the Red Wings third line, putting up 40 something points a year. Um, you know, the tools are there. The eye test is there. It's just now he's got to start out thinking his opponents. All right. As these uh, kind of whittled down here, let's talk about Elmer Soderblom very quickly. Had his stint at the start of the year, came in hot. Um, obviously his pace didn't keep up to NHL speed and was sent down to Grand Rapids. A little bit of a funny year as he dealt with injuries and uh, also consistency there. But uh, Elmer Soderblom, from what you saw, fighting for a roster spot next year, there's a lot of competition for him. Yeah, and patience is going to be the key word with Soderblom. I, I know I see the discourse and I talked about it a bit in Rasmussen's profile about you know, hey, could Soderblom be Tage Thompson? To which the answer is very obviously no. But I his overall career trajectory could follow very similarly. T- Thompson didn't figure it out till he was 25. Because when you're that big and that skilled, there's a lot of things that you have to learn along the way. Yeah. And it's promising that Soderblom's already come as far as he has, but he still has a long way to go um, because he has the size. He has the skill. Past that, there's a lot he still needs to work on. And it's not that, you know, these things that uh, that he lacks or he's bad at per se. They're just not up to NHL pace. They're not up to NHL timing. You know, he's even not up to fully NHL strength yet. Although with his reach, he, he did have several very impressive moments of puck protection and control. Just, you know, when you can hold the puck with one hand 14 feet away from the guy checking you, it helps. So... I expect, I still have very high hopes for Soderblom and this season only gave me more reasons for optimism, but I don't think we're going to see the fruits of that in the short term, if that makes sense. Yeah, he's, Elmer for me is a long-term play. We got a nice taste of it this year. There's still a long way to go for him. Um, Pace is definitely one of the big ones for me. Um and that you know what that's okay. He doesn't need to be a, a barn burner right now. Like, give it some time, refine your game. But yeah, the competition for in the lineup where he would be playing is is 
very competitive. So it's going to take one heck of an offseason for him to stick from day one out of camp. The next two here are the story of injuries, but uh, with different levels of performance. Robbie Fabry, uh, you know, lucky, I think, to escape without another serious ACL tear. Obviously missed the end of the year with his uh, with his knee injury, but missed a good chunk of the start of the year for the same reason. Uh, I think when Fabry was in, it was almost kind of overlooked how well he was doing. Seven goals, nine assists in 28 games. And for him to do that with such little time to kind of get up to speed like he came out of the, the gate hot fresh legs yeah but I liked what I saw from Fabry but it's just about staying healthy now and it sucks because you know what do you do about your ligaments but it's just about staying healthy and, and there's not really much else to gather from him and you know we've talked about Philip Zadina ad nauseum started the year terrible like terrible 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 couldn't get in the lineup virtually no production understand like after a, a fantastic camp in preseason we were like okay he's really starting to put it together awful start uh, but then had his broken leg came back and did a lot better was doing a lot of things better on the ice there was a little bit of production there three goals four assists um seven points in 30 games which is nothing to write home about but in terms of like you know whatever small victories you want to find uh yeah that was something but Those seven points came in about a 14 or 15 game stretch though for him, which was the window where you're at least ready to not give up on him. And more importantly than that even, I think, is the team really uh, liked the Philip Zadina they got back from injury. They liked how he was grinding. They liked how he was working on his game. They liked what he was doing off the puck a little bit more. Um, and that's going to pay dividends in theory. I We're not going to sit here and debate for 30 more minutes on what Philip Zadina's future production could be. Might go down as the most frustrating player of the era. Could be a late bloomer. Don't know, but uh, his only task right now is to continue his second stint of last season uh, into this next season. And throughout the rest of the lineup, I mean, Sunquist obviously did his part with the Red Wings, uh, got traded. Adam Ernie's uh, UFA, I think we'll all be surprised if he comes back for anything other than like a minimum contract, if at all, with the amount of competition in the lineup. Chase on, I can hear an argument depending on what the Red Wings forward groups look like. He was outstanding on the power play net front, uh, but kind of a one-trick pony. So if he comes back, great. It's something, but uh, he would be a, a depth chart. Maybe he's like best. a PTO guy. I yeah. don't know. And then, you know, we all know the story with Verona. Giovanni Smith was traded. And then and beyond that, it's, you know, Marco Casper's first game and Zarnik, Luff, et cetera. So those are the forwards. One thing I want to close off with before we jump into the goalies and the coach here. We talked about a bunch of guys and the feedback on all of them was mostly good. Like almost universally good. Even Raymond, for example, where it sounded like it was a little bit of a uh, uh, not as great of a year as the numbers would suggest or as his talent would suggest. Yeah, There was still a lot of positivity in there. There's two parts of that. One side of the coin Great job to the Red Wings. I think overall they did improve on every front this year, and we're going to talk about that with Jericho Malone. But on the flip side, those forwards didn't amount to an NHL playoff-level offense. They need goals. They need high-end talent. They need skill. And did I mention that they need goals? They're, despite all those good things, they still need a lot more for future. Yeah, and you know we were talking about them most of them in context of their role. Now imagine you bump all these guys down one line. 
which is realistically what needs to happen because the Red Wings need at least two first-line forwards. And as Ryan correctly pointed out, that can score goals. Yeah. So, you know, can you imagine Michael Rasmussen as a third-line winger permanently? Can you imagine Andrew Kopp as a third-line center? Can Like, literally, can you imagine a th- NHL full-time third line of, let's say, Rasmussen, Kopp, and Fabry? Because realistically, that's what this team should look like. Yeah, that gets me excited. Yeah. That's and then you've got a fourth line of you know Valeno, potentially Berggren and who the hell Soderblom maybe yeah the the recipe there for this team to be very good is there and most of these guys are doing a very good job of playing above their role they're doing more than they probably should be asked to do and again that's just a product of. You know, not winning the lottery, not, you know, hitting any home runs in any trades in terms of, you know, getting a Timo Meyer or a Jacob Chikrin. I know he's a defenseman, but that level of player. So, you know, the the formula is there. The blueprint of how the Red Wings are going to be good is there. And the pieces they have, they can use to win a championship. It's just... They just now have to find that giant grand piano that has to be lowered in by Crane. Yeah, it's it's frustrating how simple looking at the Red Wings is right now to get their path because you know how insanely difficult that last part is. Yep. Look what they had to pay for Andrew Kopp. Like, look at the premium they had to pay for a player who is decidedly on a good season in Detroit's middle six. But one crazy good offseason, you know, not that this is going to happen, and both of these are long shots. I mean, every big trade is a long shot. But one offseason, Winnipeg decides to blow it up, and Steve Eisman goes, that's it. We're doing everything. Kyle Connor, Alex Dabrinkit, come on down. How different does this team look? Oh, yeah. Not just because you can, you know, pencil Kyle Connor and Alex Dabrinkit on the top line with Larkin, but now everybody is slotted a line before below, which means their matchups get easier which means their role is more suited to their skill set. Again, it's not going to happen realistically. Even one of those guys would be a game changer. But um, but you're right. The blueprint is there. Yeah. Let's get to goalies. This is going to be defined by Vili Husso. The Ned and the Helberg conversations will be quick. Uh, <laughs> Vili Husso's season was at points MVP level. Uh, I also think at points we saw the wear and tear uh, and where Vili Husso fell off. Played 56 games. Wasn't, you know, a a stellar all-star throughout all of them, but for the start of the year, it was like, oh, God, this this guy's one of the best goalies in the division right now. Leveled off and normalized a little bit, as you do behind the Red Wings defense. You can only keep that up for so long. But in general, I think for the first, like, two-thirds of his games, for the most part, he was... Probably Detroit's second most important player, maybe third up there with Larkin Insider. And then you saw him falter a little bit. It wasn't all just the defense. He didn't have as solid of games. He had, you know, four or five goal stinkers. And especially towards the end of the year where he was battling injury and, and kind of decided to grind through it rather than shutting down, you really saw where he kind of fell off a cliff a little bit. Yeah, you can't really sugarcoat the final third of that year. It was bad. Yeah. It, the team was bad in front of him. He was bad in the net, not bailing them out, not doing them any favors. Um, hopefully, we can attribute that to two things. One, he obviously was battling some injuries, and obviously that's going to be way uh, more amplified as a goalie versus a skater. And two, he's never had a workload like this in his career. Like, this is the first time he ever hit those numbers of games. So... 
obviously there was going to be an adjustment period. Obviously there'd be a fatigue factor and then you combine that with the injuries. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not good, but it's very understandable why his season finished the way it, it did. But what we got from Vili Husso this year was the most important thing we needed from Vili Husso this year. We saw he's capable of it. Mm-hmm. We saw a very prolonged stretch of hockey where you can, we were watching and go, yeah, Vili Husso can be a starter. Yeah, I can see a playoff run with Vili Husso when this team's better. Yeah, I can see Vili Husso being a super effective goalie if they have an adequate backup who can, you know, <laughs> make Vili Husso not have to play 82 games a year. Yeah. Um, so we saw it. And it's goaltending. You know, the the endless joke is goalies are voodoo, so you never know what you're getting year over year. But we know. We know it's there. Now it's up to the Red Wings to find the formula that works around Huso to manage uh, his games played, to manage what's happening in front of him, to hopefully set it up so we don't get a repeat of this year. And again, there's a lot of factors that go into that. I think a backup goalie that can, you know, carry a 900 save percentage would be super important to that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not saying Huso's the guy of the future. But again, like we talked about the formula for the rest of the team, I see the path now to Huso being the guy, at least for a good chunk of years until we know what's going on with Kosa. Yeah, I think for me, um, we sort of found the upper limit right now of the games, the amount of games Vili Huso can play in front of a bad team. Uh, I think maybe that'll change a little bit as the defensive core starts to round itself out. Team gets better, obviously, less time having to make saves and more time to able to just sort of stand around. Um, it, they also need a competent backup, and that will help alleviate some of the pressure that Vili Husa will feel as a starter. So, you know, the, the counting stats aren't all that great, but he had four shutouts on a bad team, and, you know, the he looks like he can be a starter for the Detroit Red Wings, so... Can't really, and at points he was the MVP of this team, so yeah. can't really be all that upset at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, his like the ideal Vili Husso season where he's performing well is he's playing 50 games, a, a competent backup is playing 32. And of Detroit's backups, I mean, Alex Nedeljkovic lost the, the job at the start of the year. There's no other way around it. He was a guy who you watch and you're like, you know he has a talent, but is just in his own head, uh, was not. He, it wasn't like technical issues. He was letting goals through him where you could see he had like the yips. And the like, team played completely different in front of him. Way different. Than Vili Husso. Way different. You're you're absolutely right. The Red Wings had no other choice but to waive him. He obviously cleared state in Grand Rapids. When he came back, I think at the end of the season, yeah, he, he showed a little bit more uh, than he did at the start of the year, played a little bit better. I don't think he was enough to kind of change minds in upper management. His his talent and his skill level isn't in question. It's that consistency. Third, it's consistency, and that matters for every position across hockey. But in the NHL, if your goal, if you don't know what version of the same goal you're going to get any given night, that's not your that's not your guy. That's not your number one guy. It's not even your number two guy. If you want him to play 32 games, which in the modern NHL, like you need at least that, I think a lot of teams are rocking a, almost a starting goalie as their backup now. You, I. I wanted Ned to do so much more, and it was uh, I, you can't argue with why the team chose what they 
what they did. That said, I don't think his career is done. I think if he can find his consistency, which isn't out of the question, then he can come in and absolutely make noise. Do I think that's with the Red Wings? I don't imagine so. But the only thing that would change that is if the backup goalie market is very thin and he agrees to come back on a very cheap deal. I would suspect that he probably wanted to trade around the deadline. So it, I, I don't know where his head's on, at on that. If you asked me four months ago, I'd say no, absolutely not. As of right now, I'd, I'd say probably not, but there's a chance it just depends on the goalie market. And with Helberg, Nardi's a really good guy. Great guy. And it's, it's it's the same story, not in his path, but Helberg is what he was, a waiver claim. That's how he performed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the Red Wings need to do better than the, the Nedeljkovic they got last year, and they need to do better than Helberg in net. Like, all three goalies under 900 save percentage, but Helberg was the lowest of the three. He came in and did what the only thing you can expect to Helberg, but... Yeah, the Red Wings have questions, and in my mind, I don't know how you both think. I don't think Helberg or Nedeljkovic are either of the ideal answers. No, the <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. They need someone who's going to push Huso. Yeah, they have to. The only way a backup plays thirty games is if they're playing at or near the same level as the starter. If you know, because at one point Huso was putting up like a nine fifteen, and and Nedeljkovic was putting up like an mid-80s, yeah. you're not pushing anybody doing that. Unless so. you have the an absolute superstar as a starter, like a Vasilevsky or a John Gibson, you have to have a backup who can push your starter. Look at Allmark and Swayman. Oh, yeah. Both of those guys are starting goalies, but they've got both of them. Yeah. The Red Wings need to maybe not get a Vasilevsky, but, I mean... That'd be maybe, nice. Yeah, I'll maybe, take that. They, they spent a first-round pick on one. They no, better no get one. No spoilers, <laughs> but right now it's not looking all that good for this year But uh, for Va- Vasilevsky. But maybe it's two Vili Husos. Yeah. I don't think anyone would be upset about that. Um, Man, I can't go from having the conversation of we need two Dylan Larkins to now we need two Vili Husos. We need two of everything. I, you're welcome. I'm generating content. <laughs> the summary is Huso was good. But to get him at his best, the Red Wings need more behind him. Unfortunate that Ned season went how it did. Who knows if there's a surprise in the future, but right now I don't think either him or Helberg are tracking to be the solution. And I don't know that management. I don't think management thinks so either. Speaking of administrative staff, Newsy, Derek Malone's first season as head coach of the Detroit Red Wings. Overall, I think this is a team that despite the falling off a cliff at the end of the year in terms of the standings. This is a team that improved in every way. And if you don't even look at the standings, how many more games this year did we see Detroit hang in there and fight and just not get absolutely caved where that wouldn't have been the case? Maybe I'll play devil's advocate ever so slightly, not that I agree with what I'm saying. Um, is that because of Derek Lalonde or is that because they brought in more competent NHL players? Oh, it's a very fair point. Like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to compare one-to-one Lalonde's first season and Blasio's last. Like, the personnel is not the same. Like, the, the Eisman went out and spent on impactful free agents in the offseason. Take away Huso, Perron, Kubelik, this team is way higher up in the Bedard standings. Well, somewhat higher up in the Bedard standings, maybe. The bottom of the league really sucked. But in general, Derek Lalone had this Red Wings team playing where they were legitimately fighting for a playoff spot 
at two different points in the year. And in the middle, it looked like they significantly fell out of it and he got them back in it. I, it's hard to judge a coach based on one year and it's hard to judge a coach when they don't have a full complement of competitive playoff level players. But in my mind, I'm, I'm impressed with this first season, especially because his priorities were on defense and team defense. That's the thing for me. Um, the mandate last offseason was clear as can be. This team needs to really lock it down defensively. They need to stop giving up so many goals. They need to stop melting down. They just – everything that you could fix on defense, the Red Wings needed to fix. And, you know, Mo Sider was great, and obviously we knew he was going to and continue to be great, but this defense group – you know, wasn't billed as a top-end defensive group going in, and he had them cruising along it in the top half of the NHL for most of the season. You know, you, we saw a breakout year from Philip Hronik. We saw a breakout year from Jake Wallman. You know, how much of that is the players just progressing? How much of that is the coaching staff helping them along? Probably both. So, you know, obviously the coaching staff deserves some credit for that. Um, didn't come without faults, especially towards the end of the year. We started seeing... a few more of those meltdowns that we saw last year, but they weren't happening throughout the season, Mm -hmm. which was important. So he was given a task, fix the defense. And I will say he did that. And now that's only going to improve as that defense group gets more talented. Um, And credit to Bob Bugner on that front as well. Yeah, of course. The whole whole coaching staff gets credit for that for the most part. Um, So now his mandate for this upcoming season is clear as can be. All right, you know how to play defense now. Make this team score. So if we can see an uptick in offense and they can maintain that level of defense that they found this year and hopefully maybe even improve on it, we're walking away, you know, over the moon with his performance in the first two seasons. But you can't do half the job and be billed as the savior. I will say he was he was great in what he was asked to do this year. Now he needs to build off of that. And it sounds like that's what they are refocusing on. Like Steve Eisman said, and Derek Lalonde said in his end of year pressers as well, I believe, like they really need to find those goals. And if you look at the Red Wings roster at the end of last year, no one was looking at that roster and saying, yeah, we're going to flip that to be a playoff team absolutely next season. It just isn't attainable. Brad said earlier this episode, the steps you need to take are so low percentage in terms of the probability of them happening. All the steps that needed to happen, like the five or six of them, it just wasn't going to come about. So your only real choice is to iterate. Also, he was tasked with coming in and building a winning culture. Having good players does not mean you are going to win. I know that sounds stupid, but hockey is such a mental game. It's a game that's dominated by kids who are like young kids who are like, you know, the most impactful players in the league are sometimes between 21 and 26 years old. Consistency, mental focus, the ability to to persevere through like the absolute lows of lows, that's what brings out Stanley Cup champions and you don't get there overnight. So not only was he tasked with the very uh, uh, identifiable, tangible, like team defense, possession, you know, forwards getting back, being greater than some of your parts in terms of your actual defensive core, but it's also teaching the team how to win, how to be a winning team, uh, how to mesh together as a group, finding that chemistry. And in all, it seems like they have more of an identity now than they have, I think, since the previous generation of the Red Wings. So, and like you said, Brad, that's the entire coaching staff but credit to Derek Lalone. Um, you know, there's small stories like Bob Bugner and, and what he was able to do with Phil Peronic. I think 
special teams is improved overall. The inconsistency is still there a little too much for me when you look at you know what Alex Tange has done on the power play at times. You're like, yeah, this power play is way substantially better than it used to be. But still also, has a long way to go. Yeah. Also, at times I found that like they would just have no movement and they would all be like cementing their feet and everything would break down. It's like you were just doing it last game. What happened? But the disruption as well in personnel too, like no Verona, uh, Bertuzzi wasn't there and was there and then was traded. I understand, but special teams consistency for me needs to really step up. Although the PK was excellent. I think relatively speaking, the PK was uh, much improved. But overall, yeah, this is, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brad. Did really well, did what was asked of him, Derek Lalonde. You can't, this isn't like a miracle overnight. It, it, it all is within reason, but now the next step has to come, and it, it really is a focus on offense. At the very least, the press conferences were actually insightful, educational, and honest. How many Jeff Blaschel, not to kick someone who's out the door, but how many interviews did Jeff Blaschel do that just made your eyes roll into the back of your head? Well, uh, you know what? I would actually say Lalone is the exception. Blaschel is like most other coaches, and Lalone is just such a, that's why he's doing so well in the Sportsnet panel. Well, that, that this was going to be my segue into the next part, and I stole it. You stole it, and uh, yeah. go ahead, no, go do it. No, and I, I, I'm <laughs> done. You've ruined it. You've ruined it all. The magic's gone, as I usually do. But yeah, on on the the Sportsnet panel, I loved Derek Lalone breaking down. You know, Andre Vasilevsky when he was in Tampa Bay, they did a study and found that he was among the worst goalies in the league at tracking the puck, like point shots coming in from the blue line. Just really struggled with that. And they restructured their team's defense to... Sheldon Keefe saw that and was like, my God. <laughs> and one incredible insight. We talked about it last episode, I think, but when he's not in a uh, a coaching situation, when he's just an analyst, but he still has all the knowledge of a coach, especially about the team he's talking about, like that is the best stuff you can get in terms of actual like meaty, something you can bite, sink your teeth into, insight. Amazing for the viewer. John Cooper didn't love it. <laughs> like the, the rebuttal was very gentle, but I think he absolutely had a rebuttal uh, where he mentioned that, you know, he was an assistant coach in Tampa Bay. Um, he's there because he was an assistant coach with Tampa Bay. So he's trying to offer insight and trying to give fans something and he should be doing that. He's just got to make sure it's accurate. And to me, wow, that uh, that's kind of a woof. It's uh, it's a little, it's a little spicy. It's a little cold. You don't think any other team in the league knew anything about this? That's the thing. It's not a secret, right? These aren't state secrets. He didn't steal a dossier from North Korea. Like, everybody knows this. He can... Teams have watched tape, did watch tape. I'm sure they all know it about Vasilevsky. Uh, Toronto's defense has been shooting from the point more than I think I've ever seen them do it. It's not because Derek Malone (laughs) sent them a wire and said, hey, I know this thing that no one else knows. But it's a good demonstration of what we talked about last episode. This is why, if you're wondering why coaches don't open up a lot, like Newsy opens up more than most other coaches in the league, and even he is pretty reserved when he's in the Red Wings coaching capacity. This is why, like, John Cooper doesn't love that. His team is 3-1 down, and there's... So be better. Yeah, well, that's my answer, too. Going back to the whole poopy pants, you know, this is a big boy league. Yeah. Be, just stop being bad. Anyways. Stop blowing 4-1 leads. I'm I thought... talking about Tampa. Well, hold on. It's a... Yeah, actually, 4-1 with 10 minutes left was rough, but... Do we know for sure that Toronto's going to close this out? I picked them in six, but... 
I'm not saying anything. No, no. I'm not saying anything. It's either the greatest hurdle they've the organization has ever overcome or the greatest <laughs> collapse. It's nothing in between. Uh, anyhow, I hope the I hope panels continue to pull in the trend of finding former coaches from teams because the insights they offer uh, are excellent. Uh, very quick updates here before overtime. Playoff series at time of recording. Avalanche and uh, Kraken are tied 2-2. Dallas is up 3-2 over Minnesota. Vegas is up 3-1 over Winnipeg. Oilers are up 3-2 over LA. Boston up 3-1 over Florida. That game is being played right now, and Florida is up 1-0. Toronto came back from 4-1 down with 10 minutes left to make it 3-1 over Tampa Bay, uh, who collapsed beautifully. Uh, Carolina up 3-2 over the Islanders. And in the Battle of the Hudson, uh, the Rangers and Devils are tied 2-2 as the Devils have come alive. And it was also announced today, as we were talking about at the top of the show, that the Red Wings are among four teams going to Europe. Uh, the Global Series in Sweden will be played uh, next season in November. Uh, four games are going to happen. The Red Wings are going to be playing on Thursday, November 16th in Stockholm uh, against Ottawa. And again on the 17th, the Friday against Toronto. Uh, the other two teams are, or the other team is Minnesota. So uh, exciting for obviously Swedish fans who don't get to see the Red Wings up uh, close and personal. And Hey, maybe for us, if we go absolute no brainer by the NHL to include the Red Wings. Oh yeah. Why they put Dylan Larkin on the front of a Swedish event is beyond me, but very on brand. Yeah. I mean, Lucas Raymond was right. It was right. Literally (laughs) right there. Or they could have just done Leo Carlson and then he's automatically uh, sent to the Red Wings. I would have taken that too. Okay, we're going to jump into a very quick overtime here. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want to get access to the Discord, the bonus episodes, the giveaways, and support the show, support our expanded Winged Wheel Podcast content network, including Expected by Whom, uh, and so much more. Um, thank you to all of our patrons. Some questions. Woodson2 says, this is probably for Brad, but what is the go-to stick for NHL players right now? I played back when if you didn't have Synergy, you didn't have the stick. That is true. Yeah. Oh, God, I love it. You were a nobody if you didn't have a Synergy. I think I used my first OG Synergy for like four years. Um, Is that supposed to be a long time? I used sticks for like half a decade, a minimum. Ryan. That is a long time. I'm happy if I get four months out of a stick. Yeah, (laughs) you're you're breaking sticks like, anyways, go. Anyways, um, it's hard to say because there's so many different top-end sticks out there that are viable. Uh, for NHL players. And the other thing with NHL players that's sneaky is a lot of the sticks are wrapped based on what the, you know, their sponsor manufacturer is trying to advertise. Uh, for example, Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond are using Bauer agents right now. You would think Lucas Raymond's is still a fly light. Uh, Mo Sider's is a hyperlight uh, build. The Bauer Vapor hyperlight seems to be the most popular line in the NHL right now. Um, that's actually coming up near the end of its life cycle. The Hyperlite 2 is coming out this summer, so I'm curious to see how many guys will make the immediate jump to that. The Bauer Sync is very popular. Um, CCM JetSpeed FT5 Pro, very, very popular. A lot of Warrior Pros in the NHL. Um, seeing a lot of guys switch it over to the Novium. Peron switched over to the Novium near the end of the year, which is notable because the stick Peron was using up to that point was like eight years old, so... You know, he, uh, my people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, generally, generally the Hyperlite and the FT5 Pro, if, if I had to pick two from different manufacturers that I see most prominently, 
uh, would be the two. And I use the Hyperlights myself, so I can attest they rock. Weeb Wheel Podcast says, who are the top three teams slash GMs that Steve Eisman should be targeting to exploit for a trade for either a top-line scorer or top-two center, assuming the age fits? Arizona, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. There are other GMs that you should be calling a lot, but uh, Winnipeg for the the stock and Vancouver because they kind of just do weird stuff all the time. And Arizona because it feels like they're always selling everybody. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Dahl said, Brad said a while ago during one of our many season woes that almost no one on this team would make a Stanley Cup team. Has that opinion changed, uh, say, in a few years when we are really competing for the Cup? Who do you still see prominent roles on the team out of the players in our system right now? In the role they're playing now, yeah, very, very few. Like I talked about earlier in the episode, everybody needs to be bumped down the line realistically. Yeah. Um, Larkin, you can win a cup as a top line C as long as you have a, a really good 2C. I could see a world where Raymond is his right winger on that line, but you would need uh, Kyle Connor or something like that opposite them. Sider, number one D, Wallman as his partner, no-brainer. That can absolutely be a top pair uh, to win you a cup. I think beyond those guys, everybody would have to be bumped down from the role they're playing currently on the Red Wings. Understanding Perron on a second line makes sense, but by the time the Red Wings are competing, he's going to be uh, like in his mid-40s. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Joseph Barry says, if you had a choice of getting one of these three, who are you taking? Gensel, Connor, or Dabrinkit? Uh, uh, I want to say Connor immediately, but I feel like Dabrinkit's two years younger. Yeah, I believe 24 versus 26. Yeah. Um, I'll take who's ever the youngest out of that group. I would go to Dabrinkit just because of the age, even though I think Connor is a better player. Sorry, Dabrinkit is late uh, 97, so he's 25. And Kyle Connor is uh, a year earlier, almost exactly a year earlier, so twenty six. So only one year difference. Then I would go Kyle Connor. I'm say, I'm going to say Connor too. Yeah, I think I would too. I just like the way he plays a little bit more. They both score a lot of goals. I think it's a little bit in that nuance that I choose Connor. All right, that wraps it up. Uh, our season in review series is essentially done. We are going to take some time next episode to uh, look back at our predictions and see who <laughs> was the closest in terms of predicted standings. But thank you all so much for well, why? Why would we even bother? Because we know. Spoiler alert. Pretty much. What division are you talking about? Because I feel like I nailed the central. Brad and I are fighting for second place behind <laughs> Lobster Domus over here. If we look at the other divisions, that's what I'm really curious about. Yeah. Some more to come. But uh, thank you for tuning into the 2022-2023 Detroit Red Wings season in review series. Uh, shorter overtime today, but the bonus episode will be longer because of it. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, all of our listeners are new and old. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Manscaped, the sponsors of this episode, as well as all of our patrons, uh, including our name-level supporters. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Bertuzzi is straight up missing, Nick Perks, Icon, we are Geelong, the greatest team of all. Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Bros Before Hosas, Carl Brutinaninaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Matt, Hassan Malkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Kevin James, 
King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan, the Ryan Hannah Hannah, Ryan, somewhat offended, self-identified dummy of industry, Hannah, thank you, Arjun, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, Shahid Syed, Scree and Lube, that's what I appreciate about you, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Gowitska, Adam Rose, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, C.J. Wilkinson, Commander Ben, ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor Leighton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, Evans Short, Shortgorm Goals, Evans 2018 Kitchener Road Puddles, Frank Stanley, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Engels, Jordan Pierbolt, brand new name level sponsor. Welcome, Jordan. Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Matt Keeler, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Oophelia, Reed, Steven, Tatarsas, The Hodag. Thank you all so very much. We'll be with you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.